the world. So, no, I, uh, I I own and operate my own uh, mental health outpatient practice here. Um, so I'm in Reno, so northern Nevada, and born and raised. And um, we have uh, it's called Zephyr Wellness, and uh, we found it about six years ago, and we've continued to grow. So I can explain all that. That's okay, good. Zephyr Wellness is the name of the company. Give me a uh, five seconds silence and get started. And I do edit, uh, Jake. So if you fuck up and say something later, like, I should have said that, then we can. I don't really do that, so you don't have to worry about it. I'm pretty much perfect all the time. Okay, I like that. I wake up in the morning and I piss excellent. <laughs> That's going on the show. I'm putting that on the show. No, you can't. It's copyrighted. No, that's that's going on the show. I like it. I like it. I like it. All right, all right, all right, lead heads. We are back with a big cough. <laughs> yeah, that came through. That came through. Hang on. Hang Hell on. yeah, that came through. You're coughing. That's okay. That's no, it's start good. That's a great intro. I like that. <laughs> it just makes it all natural. <laughs> so uh, we're back, like I like I said, and um, appreciate you lead heads tuning in each and every week. Make sure if you didn't get a chance to go back to last episode that we had. And it should have been uh, our AK. No, I don't even know what my last episode was. The Tennessee Rangers. Uh, we had Brian Seaver with the Tennessee Rangers. They're a great nonprofit organization that was uh, organized to help not only local law enforcement with uh, maybe some of their overload cases, and they also do a lot more. They they help children that needs uh, special medical services. So if they need a, a flight from here to Europe or wherever it may be, they arrange that, set that up, take care of all the, the uh, expenses and everything for the family. They uh, help with the disaster recovery missions. We had some bad tornadoes uh, earlier uh, last year, and they helped with the clearing of trees and providing uh, clothes and food and water and shelter in some cases with people. So uh, it's a great organization that Brian started uh, a couple of years ago. So they're they're a new and up and coming nonprofit. And uh, you guys go check them out at the TennesseeRangers.org. So I've got a theme going, I guess, with nonprofits. Uh, so this episode, and uh, it, it's one that you guys love. He's a returning guest. And he's one of the Richards. I guess you were on our last Richards show, weren't you, this past yeah. right Christmas, weren't you? I, I'm Guido Richard. It's, it's Guido. No, no, the Guido Richard, Mike Sodini, ladies and gentlemen, with Walk the Talk America. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Yeah, there's a lot of, you're going with this nonprofit theme. There's a lot of people that aren't trying to make money and do great things for people, so. Yeah, I mean, I might as well consider myself nonprofit, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I'm, I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me on. You know, I always love the Leadheads. Yeah, absolutely, and they love you, too, man. Um, we, uh, we're we not going to bust your balls over the the Avidity arms on this episode. We've, we've done that enough in the past, I guess, Uh Unless you've got yeah. an update and you want to get into it, I mean, we could talk about Avidity Arms, but <laughs> no, I'm good. You know what? Yeah, we'll I pass. Just, I feel like if we talk about it, we'll just make it delay it even longer. It's a hard pass, but <laughs> <laughs> but that was a good Richard episode that we did. Did kind of a holiday uh, episode, and for those who don't know what the Richards are, uh, go back to this is back in December, 
is one of our famous Richard episodes. You listen to it, then you'll you'll understand what I'm talking about. We have a good time. But we that did. one was actually educational, too. We we actually got a little serious on that one. Talked about the firearms industry, the state of the firearms industry. Yeah, it's a good segue into what we're about to do today. Um, and, you know, there's a, there were some points that we hit back then that are now uh, taking effect today, which is kind of interesting. You know, we're starting yeah, we to see Yeah, we were in the stuff. dark on who our who our new administration was going to be. You know, we were all guessing and crossing our fingers and hoping and praying, but it didn't happen. And we ended up with the worst case scenario, which, you know, we were kind of, you know, foreseeing, forecasting, and we're here now. And we've been hit with some gun control bills and laws that have been proposed and are on the table. And uh, that's kind of why we're, we got you. You and I were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you were giving me an update on uh, where Walk the Talk America is nowadays, and you actually uh, really keyed me in on the HR 127. I, I really hadn't paid that much attention to it. I knew it was there and kind of knew what was going on, but I want to focus a little more on that and how that you know is going to affect people in ways that they don't really. Uh, the obviously the media is not going to be broadcasting and telling you about. And to do that, you brought in a special guest. So introduce your guest for us uh, today, Mike. Well, I'm going to let him introduce himself, but this is Jake Wiskirchen. He's a Walk the Talk America board member. And uh, I really think you could take it from here, Jake. But this guy is uh, hes a hero to me because uh, the, the amount of effort and time and energy. Walk Talk America is a small organization that does big things. And everybody that, do, that volunteers for this, whether it's Pincus, uh coley noir jake we we do it for the love of the game we do it because we love the second and we want better mental health in the united states but jake go ahead and introduce yourself well first of all i would just like to say that i appreciate being lumped in with pinkus and coley noir because um i myself envision myself among those greats uh, <laughs> and often dream of being no comment <laughs> <laughs> One day, I too will have 1.8 million YouTube subscribers. Um, no, thanks for that. It, uh, in in truth, like it's very very humbling to be called a hero to to somebody, anybody. But uh, you, I look I look up to you. So we can continue this love fest by uh, giving my appreciation to what you've done. Um, so Jake Wiskirchen, that is how the name is pronounced. Uh, some people stumble over that. Um, I am a Northern Nevada native. Born and raised here, fifth generation. I own a, I, I co-own a mental health outpatient practice called Zephyr Wellness that we've run for almost six years now, and we continue to grow. We're one of the larger agencies in Northern Nevada, and we do counseling. We do outpatient talk therapy. And the way that I got connected with Mike was uh, uh, 2019, spring of 2019. I was uh, texting a friend of mine who's mom owns a gun range it's it's actually the premier uh range and retail store here in reno called reno guns and range and he's the general manager his name's jordan slotnick and we are uh longtime friends dating back to college and we'd all uh, we'd often kicked around the idea of how do we connect mental health and firearms and one day he just texted me he goes hey have you heard of walk the talk america and i said no and i immediately looked up them and uh <laughs> found out that they are uh located right here in Vegas or well right here in Nevada down in Vegas which is for those of you who don't know six six and a half hours drive time so please don't lump us together but mm -hmm. 
I, uh, I emailed them and immediately got a response from Mike, who is them. Uh, <laughs> He's the they and them. <laughs> yeah, for all intent and purpose. Um, and I said, hey, I really like what you're doing. Would you like to be on my podcast? Because I've had a podcast now for about three and a half years called Noggin Notes. And so Mike was very gracious and he came on and uh, we ended up talking for about an hour and a half on the podcast, but about three hours total. And after that, we were BFFs and uh, yada, yada. I found myself on the board and we're doing great things. And so I'm, I'm really, really proud to to be a part of this effort. And I look up to everybody who's made strides from the, from the 2A community because my story is I have been a lifelong gun owner, uh, raised in a family full of cops, but never got into the culture and always viewed the gun as a tool to the job. So I didn't do shooting competitions, rarely went out and shot for fun. We did hunt growing up, uh, but never really got into the, the rest of the culture. And so through the last uh, couple of years that I've been with you and Rob is very, has been really instrumental in this, quite honestly, meeting guys like uh, Katie and, and Argo J. I have learned so much and it's expanded my knowledge base incredibly. Um, I now, um, I, I'm still a kind of a baby to the, to the culture, but there was a point in time where I had to make a decision about how much I was going to you know, invest myself in this because my community, the, the clinical community is, is very suspicious of gun culture broadly. And that includes military veterans and active duty and, uh, police and, uh, all sorts of people who otherwise deal with firearms because we just don't understand them. And I've got theories about why that is, but I don't know that they're relevant. The point is there's, when you say suspicion, what, what do you mean? Well, we just don't talk about it. Right. So I think, I thank for like motives. Is that you're suspicious of motives? No, no, no. We, um, I think it's because largely the, the social sciences of which, you know, therapy is one psychology, uh, tend to tilt politically left and, uh, politically left tends to be anti-gun. And it's very bizarre to me that in a profession that hangs its hat on non-judgmentalism and lifelong learning, uh, not only doesn't attend to guns at all, uh, but actually denigrates them. And I've been part of many conversations in various organizations and groups and whatnot around the community where topic of first responder comes up and it's like, what kind of first responder? Oh, it's a cop. Oh, you're treating a cop. Does he have guns in the home? He's got a depressed kid. Uh, what are we going to do about that? It's like, I don't know, treat the depressed kid, I guess. But the, the gravitational pull seems to be toward this spooky firearm thing. Mm-hmm. And they want to, so, they want to go in and, and over protect, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We get a lot of that. And, and I could certainly talk about the ethical conflict there. Um, because I think that's probably interesting, but I wanted to say that the decision I had to make was to come out of the closet, so to speak, as a firearms owning clinician. And I definitely, in doing so, I I know that I ostracized myself from some members of the community. However, I did see a lot of people poke their head go, oh, I've never heard that before. And they came forward and said, it was almost like a, you know, kind of a wink and a nod, uh, elbow in the ribs type thing. Hey, hey, how, how can I get involved in this kind of thing. So that's kind of been our push lately is to invite more clinicians in who are not just gun friendly, but want to be vocal about it and not worry about the, the, the backlash or the, the judgment ramifications. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's what it's going to take because I, you know, I think there's, there's a lot more out there than like you said, that want to admit just because they don't want to, you know, get the stigmatism, uh, I guess mm-hmm. that, that it would bring along with it. Like Mike said, hero, you know, you're a hero for doing that to be, 
you know, gutsy enough to step up in your, in your profession and be able to do that. Um, but know that you've got the backing of this community for doing that. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and I, and I've learned a ton about how to articulate my position a lot better from the guys that I listed off earlier and gals. There's, there's been gals along the way too. Sure. Cheryl Todd, for example. Um, but I, you mentioned something about overprotection and, and I, I want to dive into that because if people are listening to, that and they, to the show and they want to hear like, well, what does a counselor have to say about this? Um, I, I would start with our, our foundational ethical principles in the, in the profession. There are five and they, from there, all of our other ethical codes and, and laws and how we go about doing things kind of ripple out. So I'll list them off autonomy, justice, fidelity, non-maleficence, and beneficence. Now, let me define those. So autonomy is respecting the autonomy, the liberty of the person we're treating to choose for themselves whatever they're going to choose. We don't get to reach into their lives and shadow them home and, you know, shepherd them through their their daily life. We get an hour a week or whatever we get with them to impart some knowledge and then they go home and do with it as they please. Uh, the second one is justice. So justice, we want to we want to do the right thing. We want to advocate on behalf of people who maybe can't do it for themselves. We want to you know, speak up for our profession, make us relevant. Fidelity has to do with faithfulness. Uh, people probably heard that word before. Uh, and faithfulness to what? Well, to, to the profession, but also to the contracts we sign with people who come in and want to get help. We want to uphold our end of the bargain, right? Charge fair fees and all that stuff. And then uh, non-maleficence says don't hurt anybody. Don't be maleficent. Uh, don't do any harm while you're performing your, your tasks. And then beneficence is help somebody. Be, be of a assistance and help heal people. So here's where I think we, we get a little squirrely. Um, Let me ask you of, this. Are you a doctor? Yeah, no, uh, marriage and family therapist by license. So I have a master's level degree, and uh, that's what that's what gives me my license from the state. Yeah. So when um, it, because you have a, a, a client doctor, um, what is that called? Um, yeah, doctor patient privilege. Privilege yeah. kind of thing. Does that apply when someone comes to... Uh, a facility such as yours that you guys yeah. aren't technically doctors? Yeah, I know. Uh, so I think doctor gets spun out a little bit because the medical profession preceded our profession by several hundred years. Um, and then in its current form, uh, psychotherapy loosely has been around probably 120-ish years. And uh, medicine has been around much, much longer. Um, but but we have the same ethics and the same confidentiality protection. So I'll talk. I'll are talk you about protected that. by law though? Because that's protected yeah, by law. We are, and that okay. and that's that's a, that's, a nice. that's actually my my lane. I love I love talking about that. So I'll finish up with the ethical thing yeah, first. So where um where I think our our profession goes a little sideways is the, all the all five of those are supposed to be in balance with each other, right? And um and one is not supposed to. St- stick out above the others. I happen to believe that autonomy is the easiest to violate because it's super easy for us to just tell people how to solve the problems. And we want to avoid that because it's unethical for several reasons. One is that if I tell you how to solve your problem and it works, then I've solved it, not you. And you didn't learn anything. You become dependent upon me potentially. Uh, if I tell you what to do and it doesn't work, then I've caused harm, which means I violated another ethical, uh, construct of non-maleficence. So I think that's, that's the easiest one to to violate. But here's what we end up doing. We end up taking justice and we want to go like act on behalf of people. And that's, that's good. That's righteous. And that's all, you know, that's all well and good. The problem is whenever you take justice and you go advocate, you're inherently stepping on autonomy. 
whether or not it was handed over to you, somebody says, hey, can you please go testify for me in this case, which we would never, ever do. Um, but but sometimes that happens. Well, then, yes, I'm obviously speaking on your behalf when you're not. That would be a I would be squashing autonomy in favor of justice. Mm-hmm. And I think in today's climate, with especially with all the adjective justices we've got going on, like, you know, social justice and economic justice, and environmental justice, and criminal. It's like everybody wants to go do something to help somebody else. But we're failing to acknowledge the ability of a person to go do it for themselves. Right. So sure. we're violating liberty and we're violating autonomy. So when we get to, to this, like, quote unquote, overprotection stuff, we want to, like, reach into their lives and put all these safeguards in place so that they don't cause harm to themselves. Uh, but that's not our job. It's not our role and it's really inappropriate. Um, and on top of that, and I'm glad you teed me up for this, we would inherently at some point or another, if we're picking up the bat phone to the government, which doesn't exist, people think we have a bat phone to the government or something to tattle on them. Uh, if we do, if we, if we call say child protective services because a, a child is being abused or neglected, we are breaking confidentiality to do it. And in some cases, we're mandated by law to report suspected abuse or neglect or isolation. But that's about where it ends. We don't get to break confidentiality for any other reason. But I think what happens in the minds of the clinicians sometimes is we go, well, I got to help. I got to help. I got to help. So I'm going to go call the police to do a welfare check because I know you have guns and you're struggling with PTSD. And I think that you might hurt yourself. So I'm going to act on your behalf. It's like, whoa, man, you want to mm-hmm. put your license in for that? Because you will. Uh, so that's that's the fight that I fight pretty regularly with the urge to go help people from themselves mm-hmm. uh, other than being at peace, knowing that that they can do for themselves whatever they're going to do um, and, and being at peace with with the mystery that co- accompanies that. So there's a lot to say about that. I mean, I could soapbox forever about that one topic, but yeah. I don't want to bore you either. Well, I've, I've had personal um, experience with going to counselors. Uh, you know, put the finger quotes up, you know, like relationship counselors and, and things like that. And, um, you know, they've got this thing that you got to fill out that to me feels uh, invasive and intrusive in, in the questions that they're asking on there. And a lot of times I won't fill those out. Right. You know, I was like, why do you need that? That inf- Well, we got to have it for a file. I was like, yeah. well, where's this file go? You know, who right, sees this right. file? And they're like, well, if the government ever comes in or there's any issue, then they can. And I was like, no, no, thanks. Uh, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, and then they go, oh, well, you know, we have the we have the same confidentiality as doctor, you know, client confidentiality. We want, you know, none of this goes outside this room unless, you know, here's the but, you know, except if if I determine that there's, like you said, abuse, some sort of potential abuse or harm, you know, we find that you might be harmful to yourself or, you know, five, six other things, you know, that, and I was like, okay, do you have a, a checkbox on this? Or is this just in your own opinion, whether a person meets these criteria? And they're like, well, it's, it's our opinion. I was like, okay, well, you and I didn't hit it off when I first came in to begin with. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I was like, so, and I know, you know, and I know my background and I know what I do and I know the things that I'm involved with and, you know, which I'm not a, you know, I'm not a violent person. I'm not an abusive person or, you know, any of that, but you could, you could deem it in your mind that I am. Uh, and especially since we didn't hit it off when I first, you know, came in, you know, and I was like, I, I think we should just end this now. And, you know, for and me, that's, that's why I'm, I'm resistant to going to, to seek, you know, a professional, I put my finger quotes up again, help because yeah. you know, I just, it's not going to be worth, to me, it's not going to be worth what the potential, um, 
ramifications is that the word yeah. i want to use that could be uh forgetting you know instead of getting the help it was like i just screw it it's not worth it you you just encapsulated what is the mental health stigma right so we're talking guns on this show and the audience can't see me and i, I didn't actually do it because i hit my microphone but i was rubbing my hands in, in eager anticipation to launch into this because this this is the stuff that really fires me up i'm very proud of what we do at zephyr in so far as we we host students in their graduate studies and they have to, they all have to do a practicum and hit several hundred hours before they can even graduate before they can get their intern license and then they have to do several thousand hours before they get their actual license so shepherding people through this process is is really an honor for me and i find myself in our supervision meetings having to to bust through some of the orthodoxy and and so forth that's going through these uh, students and interns heads one of those things is exactly what you laid out is that that data collection form in the beginning, right? So at Zephyr, I purposely stripped out all of those questions. Um, we used to ask things like, what's your substance abuse history? What medications have you been on? Um, you know, what's your abuse history uh, in childhood? What are your grades? All that stuff. And I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. I don't want to do this anymore. We're going to ask basic demographic information so we know how to contact you. Uh, and that's about it. Um, we do ask medications cause that's, that's instructive, but sometimes people can't remember and sometimes kids are in foster care and their foster parents don't even know. And so, so we just, I, what I say is you as clinicians have to be better at your interviews and then mentally log what's important and only physically log in the, in the note what's necessary so that if you can, if you get hit by a bus at some point, somebody can reasonably pick up your case file and thumb through it and go, okay, I, I got a general picture of where you're going with this person. But then that person's going to do their own interview anyway, right? So we we try to make it as friendly as possible to come into to our practice by not asking all that that whole checklist of questions uh, because it's it's quite static and it's it's oftentimes irrelevant. We could be asking things that don't even matter to you anymore because it was in yesteryear. And then it invites the question of like, well, how far back do I go? If you're you know 50 years old, do you do you you know, do you care about whether or not you are in counseling when you were 12? Like, I don't know if that's relevant. So we let the, the, the patient talk about what's important to them. And then we go from yeah. there. That was um, one of your questions, uh, one of your, and I don't know, are there questions that you have to answer by state law that they require you to, or is it just each individual clinic, you know, has their own list of personal questions that they ask? So, Yes and no. Um, if we're billing your insurance, we have to do certain things like diagnose. And that's one of the frustrations I have as a, as a clinician is that still to this day, to my knowledge, we are the only, I put us under the medical umbrella because we're, we're medical. We're the only profession under the medical umbrella that where insurance doesn't pay for as a benefit, a routine checkup. Uh, we don't get a preventative care benefit for mental health. We get it for pediatrics. We get it for dental. We get it for optometry. We get it for primary care where you don't have to have a diagnosis, meaning you don't have to be broken before you get treatment. And I think that's horrible. And it's one of the fights of the many fights that I fight to try to change because that in and of itself is off-putting and it serves as a barrier to care when people think, well, you, I got to go in there, but you got to diagnose me with something. And usually if if we can't figure it out or if it's just a low level, you know, general malaise of some sort, we just say adjustment disorder because everybody's always adjusting to something. Mm -hmm. And if 
you're having some anxiety or some depression and it doesn't meet full criteria for major depressive episode or generalized anxiety disorder, for example, you say, uh, you know, adjustment disorder with anxious distress. Okay. That sounds a lot less threatening. Now I'd like to get to a point where none of the diagnoses are, are quote unquote threatening because they should all really be viewed the same, which is you're ailing and we want an accurate picture of what you're ailing with. We can treat it appropriately. But I've heard stories from my own community, from my own people, from their supervisors who say, don't diagnose somebody with a personality disorder because it's too heavy. Don't diagnose them with bipolar disorder because it's too threatening. Um, What's a personality disorder? Give um, an example. uh, uh, So personality disorder is uh, something, there's a whole series of them, but uh, the, the, the popular ones, I guess you could say, are... Uh, like borderline personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, dependent personality disorder. And what a personality disorder is, is it's a long-standing, enduring pattern of behavior that doesn't work. It's not working for you. And the word for that is called maladaptive. Um, Keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect to get different results. Several years of revolving door of relationships or um, violence or dependence or whatever it is. So, People are scared by that because there's this cultural narrative that says if you have a personality disorder, you you can't be fixed because we can't change your personality. It's like, well, that's not true because you had something before and now you have a different personality. I know I've changed personalities from when I was 15 to 25 to now sure. I'm 42. Different, de- totally different personality. Yeah. Just because it takes a little longer to change habits doesn't mean it's unfixable. Yeah. So but it doesn't speaking, mean that those trace uh, personality traits aren't still there too. Right, right. And and we don't want to get rid of all our personalities either. But what I find reprehensible about advice like that coming from supervisors and professors is that you're telling them to diagnose incorrectly, which is unethical, but it's also dangerous. Uh, can you imagine going into a doctor's office and they're, you know, you're like, oh, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts. And then, you know, the tests come back and it's like, well, you got, you got stomach cancer, but I don't think I want to scare the person. So I'm just going to tell them that they have indigestion. Can you imagine? Like, that's yeah. horrible. So I, t- I tell my people like diagnose accurately or they and just then, have indigestion and they tell them they have stomach cancer because they want to treat them. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you got some of that too. But yeah. Well, yeah, you tackle that all the time, Jake. Like your big thing is I shouldn't have to see you for the rest of your life, right? Like that's right. something that, that you preach. That's the tease to our show, right? We have this uh, Guns and Mental Health podcast, and one of the things I say is mental illness can be overcome, right? And, and it should be. It's like any other illness. And if you – barring some – permanent brain injury or disfigurement that we can't see because we can't get the test because they're super expensive and you can only get them at Stanford or whatever. Um, let's presume that you can heal. And that's the optimism that we get. Well, let's presume that you can heal. And whatever your diagnosis is, is only a symptom. Well, I'm, I'm not interested in, ta- in, in treating symptoms because that doesn't solve the problem. Here's the issue though. Insurance needs that code from that symptom, you know, anxiety, depression, substance abuse, whatever it is to reimburse me as the practitioner. And I have to put that on a piece of paper. Now the question is, where does that go? And insurances are also protected by law from uh, disclosing any of your medical information of which our service is. So really, there is no repository. There's no, like the government can't- So really the bad guy here is insurance. No, I wouldn't. Yes. The big, <laughs> but, the obstacle, I mean, really the, the big obstacle here is, you know, because everybody's trying to appease the insurance and mm-hmm. what they're going to cover and what they're going to, you know, what they'll pay for. Uh, it's like you said, you know, unless they've got some sort of a diagnosis, their insurance won't pay them, you, them coming to see you, you know, which is it's, bullshit. It's, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way, but that's it's a, it's insurance. A 
Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a problem because let's pretend that we live in the world where where Jake wants to live, which is where you can come in three times a year, pop the hood, check the belts and hoses, make sure you're okay. Um, but if I find something in there that needs repair I, and it needs longer treatment, insurance isn't just going to pay for that for no reason because that, that invites fraud, you know, and then I can just continue billing. I have to diagnose something. And what I'd like to do, yes, I would like the insurances to pay for preventative care, but I would also like the broader community to stop treating this like it's some permanent disfiguration that will never change. We need to change our language around the way that mental illness, uh, call it whatever you want, uh, struggle, uh, illness, disorder, it doesn't matter. I'm not, not going to be word police on this. The sure. point is, you're miserable. We want to get you better. You're seeking professional help, and we shouldn't judge people for that any more than we would judge somebody for needing a break uh, change. But on you their have car. to put a you, you have to put a name to it. You have to put a label to it. Otherwise, the insurance won't. You know, they won't. So they it's won't not cover just it. that. It's not just that. So we, uh, you asked about laws uh, and what what governs what we do. In our laws in the state of Nevada, we are required by law to keep a case file. And that's part of ethical practice, too, so that we don't just keep you on the calendar in perpetuity, constantly looking for reasons to keep you coming in so that I get my pockets fat. So, so again, insurance. A direction. No, no, not necessarily. So if, even if you're a cash pay uh, client or patient, you come in, you're like, hey, Jake, you're, you know, I just want to pay for your time. I want to articulate to you or you should articulate to me what your problem is, and then together we collaborate for a treatment plan. So we want a goal to achieve and then objectives to that goal, because otherwise we don't know when we end. Mm-hmm. When are you When are you done, right? So we want to keep track of that, and we want to be pretty objective about that. Now, a lot of it's So let's differentiate you between a, a therapist, a uh, just a therapist, versus what you know your specialty, which is mental health, I guess, diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, because so, people go to therapists all the time, you know, it's just part of their routine. It helps, you know, a lot of people mentally, it helps a lot of people, you know, just to get it out and talk. And so differentiate what you do versus going to just a, a therapist, I guess. So, so I am a therapist. Uh, it's, it's actually my title, marriage and family therapist, uh, MFT is the acronym. Um, and there's different stripes of this and they have different credentials and I'm not going to get into the alphabet soup necessarily, sure. but I will lift several of them off. Clinical social worker is a therapist. Professional counselor is a therapist. Psychologist can be a therapist. A psychiatrist can be a therapist. Psychiatry in its roots actually was the original talk therapy. And then in modern times, they became more medicinal and they would prescribe medications. And the incentive there is that uh, shorter window of time to talk to the patient uh, pays better because you're dispensing medicine and you got to know more and you got to go to med school. So there's no real time to have the talk therapy. Uh, which goes into the the conversation about what is this, what does the medical community do versus the mental health softer science community. Um, medical community should work in in conjunction with that. And I view and many people it's an, it's it's more common now that medicine is not the answer. It's a it's a shoehorn to the answer. So when you're when you take medicine, it alleviates your symptoms so that you can talk to me. We can change some behaviors, change some patterns in your life, and then eventually the medicine should just go away. And to Mike's point about how we we should be empowering people to get off the calendar, um, I don't want you dependent upon me to solve your problems. I want you dependent upon you and your social network to get up, to to solve your problems. That's I mean, humanity made it here on its own without my profession <laughs> up until the last hundred years or so. 
um, I would like to be able to inject some of that back in and say, here's some knowledge. Here's, I, I do a lot of teaching. Here's what I know. Here's what grad school taught me. Here's what my thousands of hours of experience taught me. You go do it on your own now. And if, it, if things get so bad, come back. I'd love to have you back, but it should not be years and years and years in perpetuity. That's, that's not appropriate. Sure. I would like Jake to sort of tie in because you've, you've told me some interesting stories, um, you know, back to the gun thing, right? Back to the firearm um, where you've even seen some people come to you and say, Hey, there's this situation. Yeah. Right. What do I do about this? And, and, you know, I think the, the audience would be pleased to hear your answer to those type of uh, scenarios. And I want to, and I want to get into those and we'll talk about those. Uh, so we got a, we got a good idea of of your background now, Jake, and what it is that that you that you do. Yeah, Marty, if if I may uh, uh, interrupt you there for a second. Yeah, can you ask these questions of me as a reminder that I, I kind of fell into a, a comfort zone of sorts because Mike knows and the people I run with know. But hearing you ask these um, very basic questions indicates to me that. <laughs> for as much as we see mental health, mental health, mental health, everybody's baby, right? And social media, and we're all popular, all these online things, to online treatments. I think we get lulled into a sense of complacency where it's like, oh, people like mental health now and they understand it. No, they don't. They absolutely don't. So I appreciate the no, opportunity. No, and you're, just- the, you're the first mental health <laughs> professional that I've had on this show. So for our listeners, you know, we, we kind of need to start off, you know, with the basics and then we're going to work our way up into – um, the laws, you know, how these laws are racist. They're, um, you know, they're, what's the stigmatizing. other word? Stigmatizing. They're stigmatizing. Yeah. They, um, they discriminate. Thank you. That's they the word. Discriminate. Yeah. discriminate. They discriminate. <laughs> so, uh, and specifically what uh, we want to, you know, kind of focus on is the, the H.R. 127, this bill that this Texas Democrat chick has put into play, and, and we don't want to talk about that. So, uh, but before we do that, for our new listeners, Mike, I want you to talk about What the Talk America. Um, I know we've talked about it on other episodes, but just kind of high level, how you got into it, what um, what started it, and then you know where we're at today with it in uh, bridging the gap with the mental health community, and that's how okay. we get that's how we got Jake here today. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I started Walk Talk America in 2018. Uh, I used to own Eagle Imports. As a matter of fact, I've been on this show many times as just a representative of Eagle Imports. Yep. Um, which it's kind of interesting you, you, where you could be in two years or three years, you know, yeah. how much can change. Um, but in 2009, the president of my company took his own life with one of our firearms. Um, it had a, a huge impact on the way we we moved forward as a company as a whole. And there was always something that I wanted to do uh, to honor him, but I just never knew what it was. Cut to 2018, Rafael Davale, another guy that's one of the Richards that's been on your show. Top we were Richard. Out cel- Top Richard, yep. Yeah. We were out celebrating in, um, in New Orleans and we met a stranger who didn't know anything about firearms and uh, it was gun neutral, actually. And said, what happens when there's these mass shootings? A mass shooting had just happened. I don't remember which one, you know, looking back on it now. But, you know, we, we were we were, we were were in it, man. We were like 11 vodka sodas deep. And uh, <laughs> we said, everybody blames us. We, we, we blame mental health and yeah. nothing ever happens. It's always the gun's fault. And then we're saying, no, yeah. it's these crazy people, you know. And that's, right, exactly. that's all the, the crazy word comes out from the gun side. Right. And, um, 
you know, because we do pass the ball. And, and I'm and guilty of that, too. Possible. Yeah. Right. I, and I was at that moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. Um, but anyway, so she asked one question and changed my life. She just said, if, if you guys know what the issue is, how do you work hand in hand with the mental health community? That would only make sense. And, um, of course, Raphael's like, yeah, man, you should really give a dollar a gun for, <laughs> you know. So the concept of Walk to Talk America was to work with the mental health community and try to figure out ways that we can help fund them, right, to solve some of these issues. I wanted a shortcut answer. You know, they like to me, it was like, hey, if we can hand you money, maybe we can, yeah. we can, we like can money fix Money solves everything, right? You just throw money right. at it. Well, what I found when I, when I started kind of breaking down the doors and talking to people in the mental health community uh, and so, some of the leaders uh, in, in that community is that there are no easy answers for this and there's no one size fits all uh, solution and just throwing money at it isn't going to work. So it really forced me to look at the firearms community and industry and, orga- and the organization to say, look, we need to look at ways that we can get people the help they need without fear of consequence uh, from within. What can we do? You know, where are we willing to go with this? Taking the information that the mental health side gives us and saying, well, we can come up with these really unique solutions because let's keep in mind, as, as the firearms industry, we do have something of value and that's access, right? Mm-hmm. Access to the box, right? Access to... Um, you know, I'd say the the community as a whole, because we're 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 a guarded community, although we're a very large community. Right. Um, if you go to any firearm show, you, you you know, Jake can tell you this that it takes a minute, and then you finally say like, "Wow, this is a lifestyle," right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a large community, but it's a tight knit community. Yes, and we and 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 so there's when you say guarded, to- it's like tight knit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're always on our guard because we're stigmatized just like mental health is. Yeah. Well, always, right? always like when you meet somebody new, you just kind of fill them out before you like welcome them in. And you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a I'm a gun owner and I've got this and I've got that. And then just starts, you know, vomiting gun talking. <laughs> but yeah, until well, you, you know. until you break that ice, that's that's the way our community. You're right. We're very guarded, you know, until we let somebody in, you know, until well, we I'd find like, out who they are to let them in. From my perspective, it couldn't have been more welcoming. I mean, they, they knew I was a noob, uh, not a, not totally raw, yeah. but I was, I was unfamiliar and they, and everybody I met was more than welcoming. Oh and yeah. I really, we're, we're very welcoming, but we're, we're filling you out before we let you in, <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of thing. Well, and Jake, you're, you, you, you were a concealed carry holder that, you know, as you said, came out of the closet, right? So like we already knew where you stood. But like you, you are going to come into a meeting or hang out with us at a show and all of a sudden be like, you know, I think red flag laws are great. <laughs> you know, that's that's the thing. Is sometimes people think they're part of the 2A community or they think they're in the community and they're like, what's the big deal? We should just be ban ARs. And that's the type of that's the type of language or comments that could kind of be like, OK, you're not part of this yeah, community. That'll get you kicked yeah. out quick. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that, you know, there's a sense it's, it's a guarded community because we always have to be careful because sometimes people don't understand us, you know, and they think they're trying to relate. It's kind of, you know, Marty, like, let's, let's put it this way. How many times do you roll your eyes when someone outside the community tries to talk to you about safety, gun safety? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on. Like, we, and they the use safety. terms like clips and <laughs> you yeah. know, when they start throwing out that kind of number, you know, he's like, okay, it's going to be a long conversation. But I welcome right. that too, because I look at that as an opportunity where in the past I didn't, 
you know, I would just dismiss that person. Um, you know, I'd be the gun snob kind of thing, but now I look at it as an opportunity to educate and have a conversation and try to, you know, try to try to understand their point of view and wh- and how they came up with that point of view before I even, you know, diagnose the problem before I try to treat it, you know, kind of thing. So I'll, I'll, I'll go through a line of questioning and just kind of figure out, you know, well, what makes you think that, you know, what, what led yeah. you to believe this? Um, because there's a million different ways why somebody would come up with, you know, AR should be banned. It should be illegal. You know, so you, you come up with that person's perspective before you start saying, well, this is, you know, actual, these, you know, these are the facts before you start laying that on them. Well, and I think, I think we're moving. That's one of the things that I've been pretty proud of when I think of the community the past couple of years is where, where we're getting to, right? Like, I do feel like we're opening up a little bit more and kind of taking some of the things that we weren't allowed to have before, um, you know, like the, the being socially conscious and, you know, stuff that people didn't think we do. Uh, before we started the show, you, you mentioned a lot of the taxes that are put upon our products yeah. go to these great things that nobody knows about. Right. I mean, the average, the average person doesn't understand the TTP tax and how that tax goes into land conservation and everything like that. Yeah, like huge, huge amount of the tax dollars from firearms and ammunition goes towards conservation, nature conservation, wildlife, nature conservation. And if you were to take that money away, if you, if they were to get rid of the guns, then that money is gone. <laughs> yeah. And that's it, a big, cause about 99.9% of all that money comes from the firearms industry, which, yeah. which we're happy to do because we get behind those, those types of organizations as well, like the Boone and Crockett and, you know, other, other uh, wildlife conservation agencies. So, um, I, I think that the issue has always been with that is that most people don't want to hear it, right? Like they don't want to hear that that's a positive coming from, yeah. especially when they're not into firearms. And the second thing is, is like it doesn't, you know, the difference, I guess, is with the work that Walk the Talk America is doing and maybe, uh, you know, I'll, I'll lump some other people in there. Like the uh, NSSF's work with suicide prevention is now we're branching out into helping human beings, not just land management and everything like that. Yeah. Right. So, um, I think what, what really, which it should be that way, more of those tax dollars should be going to that type of research and that, that type of treatment. Um, yeah, well, and other company, those- other or, or other industries should be taxed for the conservation, like the gas and the oil and gas industry, the, you know, the chemical industries that are, you know, throwing the pollutants and, so we got to, you know, need to share that tax out with, with other industries. Like you said, I mean, what you're doing brings awareness and is like maybe, maybe some of these taxes now can can be diverted and moved towards, you know, the type of research that we're looking to bridge this gap between the mental health and the firearms industry, where it's not, they can't just say it's the gun's fault. It's the gun's fault. It's both industries. You know, they got to come together. They've got to work together to make it work. And if we they, do it ourselves and police ourselves. Let's keep the fucking government out of it. Right. You know, and the fact that you that you took the initiative and, um, you know, you're working with the mental health and you're, you're bridging these these gaps. So let's keep the the government out of it, for God's sake. And then maybe we won't get these taxes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's I think it's just also, you know, my and thing these is laws. Like, yeah. These silly laws like let. You know, one of the things that I said, we we were we were, Jake and I just wrapped up a podcast with someone from the VA, the, uh, a higher up from the VA, 
that I worked with at the White House. And, um, you know, one of my closing arguments when we were all having these meetings was, you know, everyone had to say something. And I said, look, we don't need to tell people what to do. We don't need any more laws on the books. We don't need any of that. We need to shift the focus, the way we look at a firearm in the firearms industry. And instead of making us villains, look at the firearm and visualize it as a place, a conduit to where people can get the help they need when they're in crisis without fear of consequence. And you're, it's going to be a game changer because we can give you that access. Yeah. Like I, t- I tell the story about the card, you know, the, 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 the card for WTTA has the mental health screenings. I didn't get any resistance when I went to any of the companies that I asked them to put the card in. Right. You know, when Arms Corps, High Point, did, I walked up, I gave the card to those guys. I said, hey, I want this in your box. What do you think? What is this? For every gun is they sell, it? they put that in the in the box. With yeah, them. they yeah. put it in the box. Just like the, the safety manual and, and all that that goes in. Exactly. And it was yeah. like, and that's the thing is I get to go, I get to cross and That's over a completely and, voluntary yeah. thing that they, they decided to do on their own. It's not government mandated or anything like that. Like, right. like arms, locks arms. and things like that now. Yeah, exactly. And Arms Corps, like they, they just showed me the new uh, packaging for their shotgun ammo. And it has the uh, take a free and anonymous mental health screening at WTTA.org forward slash love right on the box. Yeah. Like they didn't even do the, the flyer thing. So like we can move towards that. And this is the stuff uh, I'll tell you, Marty, like when 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 I go to places like D.C. or I'm talking to people and, and I may rub rub elbows with people that might lean t- more towards the, the restrictive side is I guarantee you that they think that we don't do anything. So when I go and talk to these people or I show up and I argue on behalf of something, um, when I can show that we're doing things, that we're doing things and we're better at it than most people or, you know, we're making that effort, that goes a long way because they expect us literally to just sit there and use the Constitution as our only argument. Yeah. Right. They think we're just going to go pry from the cold dead hands, Second Amendment. Like, and we, we we will still use that. No, I mean that's the that's the core. That's the you know the building that's block the right there. Right, but if you do that and then you say we're doing this sure. X Y Z, yeah. Oh man, that's what I'm really saying. I mean that that needs to be like that's the core. Is you know this is really the only reason that you shouldn't be doing this. But let me let me pepper you with this also, kind yes. of thing. And the, you know, and that's that's what I want to arm my listeners with today is you know on top of you know the second amendment you know here's other reasons why you know all this stuff is ludicrous and it's not working and it's you know a waste of everybody's time and tax tax money so let's let's get into the jack wagons now hey Ralph simplify do or die hold them high at eighth and i it is time for the talking lead jack wagon of the week so brace yourself baby um and we're just gonna have one today and it is, she made it, I think, a couple episodes back, but it's Sheila Jackson Lee, who is the one, I guess, who's credited with bringing in H.R. 127. So Repub- um, uh, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, she's a Democrat in Texas, is proposing new legislation that would create a national database of who owns firearms and how many they own. The database would be made public, allowing local criminals to target firearm owners by simply looking up their home address in the government database. And that's just one, you know, downfall of, of making people's names public. Um, 
House Resolution 127 was filed earlier this year as a placeholder, but was updated on January 28th to outline how the Attorney General, through the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, would be tasked with establishing a system for licensing the possession of firearms or ammunition in the United States and for the registration with the Bureau of each firearm present in the United States. Uh, and it's entitled the Shabika Shaikh. I don't I don't know how to say that last name. Firearm Licensing and Registration Act. She was one of the um, school children that were killed in that uh, that shooting. Was it in I guess it was in Texas? Is where that was that where it was? I can't remember. I read I read the story last week, but she was an exchange student from Pakistan. She wasn't even uh, an American student. And they named it after her, which I can see, you know, them using that like as a political tool, naming it after her. Um, I guess they feel that gives it more legs or more validation. I don't know. But anyway, um, what what is your understanding? Because you guys have probably read this a lot more thorough than I have in, uh, you know, what all this bill is proposing, H.R. 127. Well, for me... Yeah. The uh, I think the most onerous uh, or odious maybe uh, part of that is ominous, odious. ominous, odious. Smells weird. Smells odious. <laughs> odoriferous. Um, <laughs> odious. Odoriferous. Yeah. Um, right guard sports stick. Um, I is the is the requirement for <laughs> for a psyche valve before you can uh, purchase a firearm. Um, there's so many problems with that starting with provider shortage <laughs> and uh, and even the, the ability to pull it off. I don't even know where to begin. But I guess I'll start with the provider shortage. I guess it'll create shortage. more jobs <laughs> well, maybe. In, in that maybe. industry. <laughs> unless, unless, unless the point is, knowingly, they wrote that in with the design that nobody would be ever be able to get it done. Because it would flood. It's a financial barrier. Yeah. Uh, which obviously we know disproportionately affects our impoverished and uh, minority communities. Discriminating. Uh, there you go. Yep. Highly, highly discriminatory. Um, but there's just not enough people to do such a, a thing. Uh, and and then let's pretend that we do get that accomplished. Uh, we, we magically have, you know, hundreds of thousands of psychologists floating around or whatever. Um, and they're trained, by the way, to do such a thing. Uh, then where does the information go? And that's the big question. And we talked about earlier that, you know, the, the magical repository that doesn't exist yet. Uh, well, that's what they're proposing. The, stuff would go, right? Yeah, that's that's the database. Yeah. That's And so we would presumably connect these two things. And now, uh, and this is why I think it'll fall flat. I, th- I honestly think that and some other things are kind of red herrings to get people riled up and frothy. Because the way the legislation usually works is they, they strike the, the things that are clearly unpalatable so that they get the rest of the bill through. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible that was written with that in mind. Uh, they're like, well, we're not going to die on this hill if we can get the rest of it through. And we know that everybody's going to get fired up over this, right, including the mental health world, which says we can't possibly pull this off because of our ethics and other laws, including HIPAA. So you'd have a federal law in competition with another federal law, and they'd conflict. Um, but – we would presumably, if this thing goes through and the magic wand is waved by those who would prefer restriction over uh, liberty, that you'd have databases talking to each other, able to be accessed by many other parties. And now all of a sudden your medical information is just open and available to whomever wants to paw through it. 
And then from there, we can draw spurious conclusions to what medical conditions uh, possibly constitute a danger uh, when owning such a horrible, uh, dangerous thing like a gun. And then we can restrict your access to that that thing. And and where where I am really frightened is, uh, yes, gun control is a problem. I'm frightened by where this could go elsewise, including employers who do a background check, presumably from this newly created database, who now can use that as a reason not to hire you. Mm-hmm. Uh, their privileges, not necessarily rights, but privileges in society, like driving a car uh, or um, having security clearances, um, all sorts of stuff. I think it's really, really dangerous. I really, I think it's very, very bad for a whole host of reasons. It's it's one of those slippery slopes. <laughs> Quite. Quite. Yeah, there's that, so many there's so many aspects of these silly laws that uh, even if even if the person had intended them to be you know to save lives and and come from a good yeah. place, their heart they just don't think of the consequences. You know, we use the example. I, I think um, universal background checks is something that I think just, uh, just made another step forward today um, in. And I don't, I don't think it'll ultimately pass, but you know, when you think about Jake, like the other day I noticed on Twitter, you were having an argument or it wasn't even an argument. You, somebody had made a statement about, um, you know, universal background checks and suicide prevention. And you're just like, Hey, listen, I want, I'd like to see some evidence that universal background checks, you know, take, take the number of suicides down by firearms. Like, where's that evidence? And of course, like it doesn't, Everything that that person sent and the links that were sent thereafter, I couldn't see anything that really linked the two together. Um, we still had a, a civil conversation, or you did with with the lady, um, but that's the thing: is like take for example a transfer law, like in the state of Nevada. Like if if Jake's over at my house and he sees that I'm not doing well, I can't hand him my firearm to take for a couple of days while I clear my head. Uh, the minute he leaves the house, you know, we've broken a law. Um, and that's, that's, those are the consequences to some of these things that people say are, are a good thing and they never really think about who it really affects. I actually do a training. I have a presentation on that exact topic that I give, um, to well, anybody who wants to listen, but I, but I also train our police officers here and I've been doing that for about three years in the, in the crisis intervention week. And, um, part of the presentation is I cover red flag laws, uh, or, you know, extended risk protection orders as they're legally called. Because Nevada just adopted one that went into effect uh, January of 2020, but in in conjunction with that ERPO law, we had the the expanded background check law, the the alleged uh, close the gun show loophole law, and so here's here's the issue. We'll we'll take on its face that the red flag law is designed to prevent people from doing nefarious things when they're in a moment of crisis or whatever, and we can take their firearms away. All right, you remove the tool, but. Now you've you've created a legal issue out of a sickness, and it shouldn't be illegal to be sick. So if you're if you're temporarily mentally sick, like you can be temporarily physically sick, uh, I don't know that we should be seizing people's property. So there's due process involved there. There's Fourth Amendment issues there, um, but there's also the the issue that now goes on to it's like it's like in high school. It's this is going into your permanent file. Right. Um, yeah. Ever whenever you apply for a job these days, or or for me a professional license. You have to disclose in the form, have you ever been subject to a, a, a restraining order, essentially, but it's called a protection order. Well, this is one of those protection orders, and it never goes away. It's a, it's a, it's a legal, it's not a conviction, but it's a, it's a legal ramification for something that 
in other circumstances when protection orders are warranted, like stalking, for example, um, this one is very, um, it's very ad hoc and, and it's very, uh, it can be used very non-judiciously. So let's Kinda say like we, the no fly list. The fly, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so let's say that, that we take this on its face. We go, we, we don't want to go that direction. We just want to get the guns out of the home, and we don't want to make a legal issue out of it. All right. Hand them to a trusted friend or relative. <clears throat> All right, so Nevada also passed a law that says uh, trusted friends are not part of that list, but trusted relatives are. Well, let's say you don't have any relatives. Well, where do you go then without becoming, a, in most states, a felon? Or in our, our case, Nevada has this gross misdemeanor category. And um, And here's the really bad part about that. When they wrote the law into Nevada statute, the language that accompanied it has verbiage that says, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, in order to keep the the criminals, the domestic abusers, the mentally ill, comma, and other dangerous people. It's like, well, hold on a second. You just said that because I have da- I have depression, I'm I'm a dangerous people now. Right. And and so the the law in and of itself is very judgmental and stigmatizing and and discriminating. But it's a discriminatory, I should say. Um, so it sends a negative message that you, you're not even allowed to be sick, which tells people don't go get help because there's this ripple effect down the road that could affect you for years to come should you go do that. Now, my pushback on that as a clinician who's bound by ethic and law, and I wrote an article about this for the WTTA website, it says, I'm not allowed to take your guns. I, I'm not allowed to file for that protection order. Whether or not the law itself, and this is true in some other states, allows me to, I have professional ethics and professional ethics are embedded into law that say, don't you ever break confidentiality. And if you do, it better be for a very, very damn good reason. And that wouldn't be the route I'd take anyway. The route I'd take is to get you help, not to take your shit from your house. Um, it would be to go level up to another higher level of care. If my outpatient counseling isn't working and you need to go to a hospital because you're so dysregulated, well, you're going to go to the hospital. I'm not going to like send the deputies to your door to, to seize your guns. That doesn't make any sense. It's again, we go back to symptom resolution. instead of problem resolution. So there's a whole bevy of problems with that. And the messaging behind it was just awful because now we've got this culture of even deeper suspicion about my people that doesn't need to exist. Yeah, I agree. And then going back to what you were talking about is like, you know, if, if somebody is diagnosed, like the red, the red flag laws there, uh, if instead of them, the, the government coming in and taking the guns, you know, giving them to a friend or family or loved one in this, it's my understanding what I read in this new, the 127, that if you, even if you give your guns to someone else, they still have to go through this process. That's what Nevada's background check law does. In fact, I, as a concealed carry permit holder, I can go buy my own gun without a background check because the the concealed carry permit says you're you're good, you're blessed, whatever. Um, but but I can't borrow somebody's guns yeah. without a background check. It's like wait wait what? Right, right. But that's what this is proposing. It's proposing that they have to go through and they have to do all these other things. It's not just a uh, you know a mental health assessment that you have to go through. You have to go through. Uh, uh, attorney general approved firearms training courses, uh, which, you know, it's more money you're going to have to shell out there on top of, um, you know, getting the, the mental health test and, and all that you've got to go and you've got to get in, trained by a, uh, approved, um, firearms instructor, um, I don't know. There's several other things in this, but it's right. just, it's just, it, it, they, they're, they're trying to make, like you said, one, they're trying to over, um, 
uh, saturate the mental health industry. Just like we can't handle the amount of people that we would have to to do to do this. Two, the money monetarily. This is going to keep people because that's you know that's the whole thing with the the NFA stuff is like they put the tax stamp on there because they try to make it monetarily unattractive for people to want to do it or just prohibitive. Not maybe that's not unattractive, right. but just prohibitive. And yeah. right. And looking and it, at all it, these licensings and all these training and all this, you know, these these things are going to have to pay for on top of all that. It's just they're making it very uh, cost prohibitive for people. So, yeah, you keep you essentially saying, "Hey, citizenry, you're not allowed to defend yourself the way you see fit." Um, and oh, by the way, um, we don't really care about that because. Um, you, you don't matter. Apparently we're saying, we're saying lives don't matter because show me a criminal who's going to follow the, the rules. Right. So right. the criminals are going to have the guns. That's Again, an, that's, this isn't going to stop criminals <laughs> at all. It's going to keep the honest people more honest. Yeah. And, and you know, you think about it, anybody that owns their own company and has hit a level uh, where their income, they're comfortable can maybe jump through all these hoops but the single mother from Compton, you know, who's, who's got to work two jobs and, and, and take care of a couple kids. She's not gonna be able to do all this. I mean, yeah. there's no way she could defend herself now. Well, that and the yeah. age restriction that they're, you know, they're trying to put on it too, you know? So, you know, as a 16 year old, 18 year old can't, you know, defend themselves. They can't purchase a firearm to be able to you know, get to be 21 years or older. Let me read the psychological evaluation part of this. Uh, mm-hmm. and it may touch on some more uh, points that you guys want to talk about. So uh, a psychological evaluation is conducted in accordance with uh, with this paragraph. If the evaluation is conducted in compliance with such standards as shall be established by the attorney general, so he knows what that's going to be, the evaluation is conducted by a licensed psychologist approved by the attorney general. Uh, as deemed necessary by the licensed psychologist involved, the evaluation include included a psychological eva- evaluation of other members of the household in which the individual resides in. So not just the owner of the firearm, but the whole household has to get a psychological evaluation. As part of the psychological evaluation, the licensed psychologist interviewed any spouse of the individual, any former spouse of the individual, and at least two other persons who are members of the family of or an associate of the individual to further determine the state of the mental, emotional, and relational stability of the individual uh, in relation to firearms. So it's not just the individual. They're going spouses, former spouses, uh, people you've worked with, uh, friends, associates. I mean, they're getting very intrusive here. That's more than a CIA interview. I have a friend who was retired from the CIA, and he, and, and that was that's more than, than what he went through. They did interviews, but they didn't do psychological interviews on everybody. Right. And, and I'll just be right off the top, like, to do a, a full comprehensive psychological evaluation. I'm not a psychologist, uh, marriage and family therapist, but I, I have psychologist friends and their rates are very high. And to do one comprehensive eval of a few hours is going to cost you probably 1500 bucks. Uh, now multiply that by all the family members that they listed off. Uh, that's why I think that this, this particular plank in there is just going to fall off. It's, it's literally impossible. And, um, and I hope that this thing collapses under its own weight because the way that we've, you know, the, the dot gov has gotten a, away with gun control heretofore is they've they've deferred to the states 
and kind of done the ollie ollie oxen free. Well, it wasn't Congress because the Constitution says Congress shall make no law. Well, now we've got Congress making the law, and I think it's going to fall down. Uh, I, at least that's my hope. So I don't want to stir up any more fear unnecessarily. Yeah. Um, so here's their grounds for denial of a license under this. It says required the attorney general shall deny such a license to an individual if the individual is prohibited by the federal law from possessing a firearm or the individual has been hospitalized with mental illness, disturbance, or diagnosis, including depression, homicidal uh, ideation, suicidal ideation, attempted suicide, or addiction to a controlled substance within the meaning of the Controlled Substances Act or alcohol or a brain disease, including dementia or Alzheimer's. So brain disease, TBI, you know, a lot of our law enforcement, military uh, men and women suffer from TBI, but, um, but yeah. So to to that point, um, we'll set, set aside the TBIs and then Alzheimer's, dementias for a second. Let's just go back to the other things on the list. What that communicates is that you're never able to recover from your right. mental illness. And if that were the case, my profession would cease to exist because nobody could ever be healed. And that is false. And so if you're hearing this and you're like, well, okay, Congress isn't going to do it, but the states are going to pick this up, that's where you need to be concerned. And the messaging shouldn't, I mean, yes, we should message that, you know, don't make any laws restricting, right? Adhere to the Second Amendment. It's a fundamental human right to defend oneself. And let's start to change the narrative around what mental illness means. It can and should be overcome. That's right. it. So this is, it goes on to say, it says the attorney general may deny such a license to an individual if the psychological evaluation referred to in paragraph two, which I just read, indicates that the individual has a chronic mental illness or disturbance or a brain disease referred to in subparagraph A21, uh, is addicted to a controlled substance within the meaning of Controlled Substance uh, Act or alcohol or has attempted to commit suicide or prior psychological treatment or evaluation of the individual indicated that the individual engaged in conduct in conduct that posed a danger to self or others. So even prior, because you're saying that mental health should be, you know, treatable and curable, but they're saying even if you were diagnosed prior and you're deemed, you know, fine now, they can still deny you because of prior. Yeah. That's a scarlet that's that's a scarlet A on your chest. And that so when I first got into this this whole I don't know concept, right? Of bringing the mental health community and the firearms industry together, um I thought remember I said earlier, I thought okay, we could stop the next mass shooter. All we got to do is, you know, help fund some of the outreach programs that the mental health community is saying they their budget had been cut over the years. Well, one of the things that they came back and kept saying is to find the next mass shooter is like finding a needle in a haystack. And I didn't really understand that at first, right? Because I was like, no, there's got to be signs, Duh, you know? And he said, no, like the only future predictor of violence is previous violence, not mental health diagnosis. And and the way it was broken down to me, he's like, you can give 10 people that suffer from bipolar disorder a firearm and all 10 of them will go their whole life without doing anything with that firearm to anybody. Yeah. Um, you know, and then somebody could could have a bad day or there could be a situation, uh, an impulse control or, or maybe an anger management issue 
um, over a certain situation, and that person can go off with a firearm, or or a or a adverse effect to to a medication that was prescribed wrong by a doctor. Right. Yeah. If, if you don't Ms. mind, I want to share my screen real quick and point out some some uh, numbers here that uh, the audience won't be able to see it, but I'll I'll just say what they are. Yeah. Uh, oops. If I can. How do I toggle over here? I don't know if you guys can see that or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, you can. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, what the audience cannot see is a Venn diagram. A Venn diagram is overlapping circles, and you see a very very tiny circle of mass shootings, hidden inside a lar- much larger circle of gun deaths, uh, overlapped with a larger circle yet of suicides. So, here's how it reads: All firearm death. This is 2018 from CDC, Centers for Disease Control. All of 2018, all firearm deaths, 39,740. So that's 40,000 firearm deaths. Okay. So of those, suicides were 24,432. So 50% of all firearm deaths were suicide. Now, how many mass shooting deaths were there? 80. Eight zero. That's two-tenths of a percent. So when you hear this uh, stuff talked about with like, we're going to prevent gun violence... What they're essentially doing is they're inappropriately conflating homicides, which is mass shootings, and suicides. And we're essentially saying suicides are violence inflicted upon self. So it's a very clever way of conflating two concepts all under the umbrella of violence. So it sounds flashy to the recipient. Say, we're going to prevent gun violence and all these deaths when really half of gun deaths are suicides. And the vast majority are gun crimes per- committed through uh, gang warfare and drug conflict. Right, because a mass shooting is is things. two. Is it more than one or it's more four, than two? Four, four or more. Four, four, four or more. Usually. Okay, but, but it's, they, it's it's a blunt instrument to uh, where a scalpel is needed, and and if we're yeah. going to do suicide prevention, well, then all this background check stuff isn't going to stop it anyway. Because there is no predictor to, to suicide beyond sometimes very intimate understanding of the individuals in that person's life. And if those individuals are prohibited by law from taking the firearms away from that person who may be suicidal because the law is intended to stop it, don't do that. Well, now we got a problem. So Because when you they're typically going to find another way to kill themselves. Sometimes. Sometimes. I yeah, mean, I mean, it, there's variables. It, it is important to separate the firearms from, from somebody who's at risk. But we don't need the government to tell us to do that. We should sure. do it ourselves. It's where the gun community can become very active in its own right sure. to its own messaging to say, hey, check in on yourself. Our Cause of Pause campaign, Mike, you should talk about that. That's a good one. Yeah, Cause of Pause is actually something that Pincus had, had come up with. And uh, the whole concept was, look, put something in between uh, the firearm and yourself in a time of crisis, right? So if you're you're feeling blue, you're down. Like I have a Canon safe right over here, and you, I mean, the audience can't see, but I have two pictures of my daughters, right? Because I think about like I I don't know what it's like to be in crisis. I've never been there. I, I'm very lucky, but who knows? Maybe one day I will be. But if there's anyone that's going to stop me um, from doing something to myself, it would be seeing the faces of the two people that I cherish the most. And so, I keep those. Yeah, uh, I was just trying to understand what you're saying. So, where your firearms are located, you've got you've got a reminder of your daughters, people that you love. There, right. as you're going to that firearm, is like, all right, this is what I stand to lose if 
you know, I go for that gun right. for it's self-destruction. Right. It's a creative pause that maybe gets you to think. It's it's a, it's not a magical cure by any means, right? But it's something that could potentially snap me back into sure. the reality. I that mean, I every need. little thing helps, right? Well, yeah, and here's the here's ahead, the cool Mike. thing. About, sorry, Jake. Uh, here's the cool thing about that. Um, something so simple, right? That has had such an effect, I guess, to the the mental health community. When I speak in front of uh, mental health clinicians and I tell them about our cause of pause campaign, that's something that really touches them. They really like it. And I'm working with a few safe companies that are like, Hey, why not? Why, why can't, why can't we throw in some kind of things that are magnetic that could stick there that someone mm-hmm. can put a photo in yeah. or like a phone number, like, you know, a phone yeah. number of a, a helpline or a, a chat, uh, website or something like that. Yeah. 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 I, I want to say that like, so, so causing a pause could be a mechanical pause, like a safe or a, uh, or a cable lock, or separating gun from ammo, right? It can also be a, a psychological pause, which is what Mike just described. And and there are some people we've. I know the I know the counter argument. The counter argument is well, sometimes people who are desperate to kill themselves are doing so because they think irrationally, of course, because they're in an irrational state. They think irrationally that they the, they're taking themselves out of the world will alleviate whatever burden they think is upon their family or their friends or whatever, right? So I, I, I cede to that argument. I get it. And is that going to stop us from doing this for people who would otherwise benefit from it? I don't, I don't think we should maybe go that route as a reason to stop the cause of pause campaign. Um, but I do know, I, I do know the counter argument and I have heard it and that could accelerate somebody's desire to die for sure. You know, I, I get it. Um, but the idea is that we, we've got to try less intrusive, lower level of intrusiveness, uh, mechanics and techniques to do this. That's, that's what, that's what all of medicine should be about. Anyway, if somebody's ailing, try the lowest level of intrusiveness possible first, see if that works. If it doesn't work, then level up to something else. We don't just, just because you're, you're bleeding out of your hand, we don't send you straight to the emergency room. We take a look and see if a band aid will work, right? Um, band aid doesn't work. Then we go up. So causing a pause can be any sort of pause. It can be mechanical, it can be psychological. And, and in a case where we're working on some really cool technology with safe companies, uh, Mike, you should talk about the, the the family pause that can happen by overriding the, the safe code. Yeah, we have, we're, we're working with a couple safe companies right now on some technology. Um, I, and actually this, this technology comes more into play these days now that they're, that we're having issues with transfer laws, right? Taking firearms out of the house. Um, but picture, if you will, uh, a safe that if you have an agreement with, say, your wife or your partner, whoever that is, right? Uh, it could be a family member and they they know you. They know that you go through bouts of depression. These bouts could last maybe six days. They could last a month, whatever. Um, instead of taking the firearms outside of the home and trying to place them somewhere so there's a recovery time, um, that safe could be disabled uh, through an app and it won't open until that timer runs out. And uh, it, it's, hey, it's something that if somebody doesn't want to use, right, you don't have to use it. It's kind of like a, a car stereo. If you don't like country western music, you don't like hip hop, you don't have to tune into those stations. You don't throw out your 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 radio just because it has those stations but on there. Thus, we got censorship, though. So the government yeah. still stepped in. <laughs> <laughs> because they felt people couldn't do it on their own, so the government's got to step in. So, I mean, the government's always sticking their suckers in where it doesn't belong, you know, and they're, they're always going to do that. And, but you can't but, be trusted, Marty. But we've got to, 
we have to we have to police ourselves the best we can be, so it doesn't come to extremities like they're trying to impose on us now with the you know the example the gun laws yeah all these yeah. well that that idea came from uh, a vet that was my Uber driver in Denver I was leaving Pincus's house and he basically uh, there's a story I tell. It's kind of funny, but we don't for time constraints. I'm not going to go into it. But basically, he told me the story of that tell his it. wife is. Well, okay, so you know, Pink is this car looks like a NASCAR, yeah. right? Like, like mine, well, yeah. I've got it wrapped yeah, with all my sponsors, yeah. Yeah, but for but for firearms. Well, yeah. you know, when I get in an Uber, it's like when I get in an elevator, I, just, I don't even want to talk to anybody. I just want to look at my phone and kind of do all about my business because I, I really suck at the small talk thing. And the guy sees Pegasus' car and immediately the questions start as soon as we get like one mile down the road. Right. He goes in the firearms industry. Da, da, da. He wanted to talk about firearms. I thought I'd shut him up by just saying that I'm actually part of the mental health community. And talked. I start talking about the Talk America. And I was like, okay, he's going to. And it actually backfired. Um, we're, we're on the highway. We just got on the highway and he pulls the car over and, and he stops it and he says, God put you in this, this car for a reason. And in my mind, I'm going, this is the end. You're I'm crazy gonna much. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said, I, I want you to look at me when, when, you know, I, I want you to look at me when I'm talking to you, boy. <laughs> no, it had this, it had this real, like, you know, you talk about a way to make an impact and it, it right. really did because I did get to see his face. He was very sincere. But he said, I, I suffer from Lyme disease. And um, hmm. I, didn't, I didn't realize, ex- except for the day before, right? Like if this wouldn't have happened, I had a meeting with the vice president of Mental Health America. And she was telling me about her, how her son battles Lyme disease and how many times people that have um, undiagnosed Lyme disease, uh, you know, di- you know when, when, when they don't know, People tend what, to think that say what Lyme tell tell our listeners what Lyme disease is so they're not here googling while they're listening. So. Uh, Lyme disease, the deer tick. Uh, it's a disease that attacks your like nervous system and it affects your brain. Uh, many different health issues. I mean everything from fatigue. Um, but but what happens is is that people sometimes will think someone that's battling Lyme is actually battling mental illness and they can be misdiagnosed. Right. And, and I didn't I didn't realize that until talking to Debbie the day before. But it just so happened that the Uber driver shared that story and where he was going with this was that he sometimes because of of the Lyme, uh, he will kind of, you know, go off the rails uh, at times for two to three to five days. And, and his wife knows him so well that she was instructed. They had an agreement that he's, you know, she's supposed to remove the firearms whenever sure. she sees coming on. And then she's instructed to bring the firearms back when she knows he's okay. I mean, that's, I thought that was a really cool story because it's just, once again, policing our own, right? And having that kind of trust and commitment. Well, you know, I took that back and I ended up talking to Mike Baker from Cannon Safe, which is, uh, Cannon Safe's located in Vegas. We we're having lunch. I was telling him the story. I said, How cool is that, man? And Mike goes, well, what if we built that into our safes? Like, what if we did made that as an option where people can have an app and, you know, police their own and we started talking about it and then it just becomes a better idea the more you talk about it because you're like yeah you know what if people want to use it just if they go to hawaii on vacation as well so it doesn't always have to be something about crisis right it could be i'm going to hawaii and i want to lock but this is one of those things that that i was talking about earlier where you know this is a you know this is a great idea and this is going to make this better and do this but have you looked at the the adverse is like how could that be adversely used 
on these people? Have you have you done that analysis on that yet? I mean, everything you're saying right now sounds great and good, but you also got to look at how that could be used against that person as well. Well, I mean, if you look at it, maybe somebody wants to get into their safe sooner than what they they you know the time that was allotted for. Mm-hmm. I my you know my assumption is that if if my if my wife is going to have the ability to lock our safe and I say, look, honey, when you see me acting a certain way or our our daughter is depressed, yeah, let's just lock it up, right? Um, you always run that risk of needing that firearm. But I'll tell you what, if my daughter is is suicidal, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the chance of having my firearm locked in, uh, you know, preventing her from accessing it yeah. over the boogie coming in. No, I, and, and, and we talked I, about this on the show before. I think we had I think we had um, was his name Mike from Kansas State? Yeah, we had Baker. Yeah, we had yeah, Baker, Baker. Yeah, Baker we had we had him. We we talked about this when you guys uh, initially you know had this idea, but um, I mean you got to look at. Th- the adverse of that as well, you know, how could that be used against somebody? I mean, it's a great idea on the, uh, and all we're seeing is the, you know, the clover fields and the sunflowers, you know, but you gotta look, well, you I gotta will, look at I, the, you gotta look at the, the adverse part of that as well. Okay. So let's go back to the fields though. Uh, <laughs> will, let's keep it rosy. You, let's keep it rosy. I, I will. Right. I mean, I mean they so, could be used against somebody well, in a court for custody, you know, something like that. It was like, well, I had to lock his safe, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I mean, there's there's all kinds of different ways of hackers, you know, hackers could hack into there and it's like, all right, we're going to rob his house. Let's, uh, we know he's got this safe. We've been casing him out um, and we can override that out and we can lock him, make sure he doesn't get to his guns, you know, kind of thing. I mean, there's all kinds I, I, of things you got to think about. Yeah, those are those things like because we consider that stuff in my realm too. Um, do you or don't you call in a welfare check to somebody who's suicidal, knowing the you know being the clinician? You're always going to stand on some ledge. Which one are you most comfortable standing on, and how can you articulate that under the worst of circumstances, and then do it? Um, when we when we continually consider the outliers or the 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 random one offs and then give that more credence than the the problem we're trying to solve, we end up paralyzing ourselves and doing nothing which is probably the worst thing in the world mm-hmm. but there is one but you still have to do that that analysis because because I, it may be like all right this outweighs the yep. the positives absolutely. outweigh the negatives absolutely but one one thing that laura smith brought up when she was when she and ed were on our our show uh from liberal gun club they were they were talking about how she says she, she lives in california and she's like if i change the lock on our safe I have technically taken possession of those guns, even though some of them are mine, some of them are not mine because they have a registry. Um, she says, I have just become a felon because I took possession of my own husband's guns. So that is one consideration we want to we yeah. be mindful of. Exactly. We don't want to just roll it out and be like, here's the cure-all. Yeah. Yeah, so I appreciate you bringing that up. I love the challenge. I love these conversations. This, this is why we have them. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. But that, you know, what the, I want to go back to the field. They just do just call me left-hand okay. of the devil. So. <laughs> uh, so now, you're let me. Shoulder, you're the, <laughs> the two people on the shoulders, right? Right. So, th- but this is another example of when I go speak to, let's say, the other side, if you will, the mental health community, um, and I bring up the desire of this safe company that wants to do this, right? Mm-hmm. And I know I'm talking to two safe companies right now that are kind of knee deep in it. Um, this is the type of stuff that really impresses them. Because they're like, that is brilliant. Yeah. Like, that's a great and idea. And it is a great idea. 
Right. And it, it and it, it because it creates that time and space, it doesn't necessarily you, like like Lefty, you know you could go into anybody's house and pretty much you don't even have to know what the firearm is. Like you could go into the house, see that person in crisis, and you could totally you don't even have to take the gun out of the house. You could probably remove the firing pin. Well, the average person can't do that, sure. right? And some people don't even want to touch guns. Right. So let's just let's just put it out there like we've made and obviously we've encrypted it where people can't tack into it. I'm solving all the negatives. The, the <laughs> right. <laughs> right but we, well, this is this is the show for that. But it's just it's just one of those things when somebody comes out and it goes back to my point I made earlier is like, I've got this great idea and this is going to solve everything. Well, have you looked at the, you know, the downside and the negative? You got to you got to do both sides of it before you. Yeah. You no, know, absolutely. But this is what I'm saying. It's though, like that's like, that's what they do with these laws, with these gun laws. Is like they come up with all these. Oh, well, let's do this. This is going to solve everything. But they don't look at the, you know, well, it's really not. It's going to make things worse because uh, of discrimination, of racism, of elitism, elitism. Uh, yeah. Or, yeah, you know, it, it's just. Well, hey, you want to? This is an interesting topic. I don't know how your listeners are going to feel about this one, but let's just say these tra- this transfer law passes, where like universal background checks, as much as like uh, we're going to hate it as just like regular citizens and how ridiculous it is, you know who's going to love it? Gun stores, but they're going to secretly pretend they hate it. Oh, yeah. But they're, <laughs> <laughs> but they're going to be like, yeah, we have to do that, but because well, this is going to force. This is going to force everyone to go to gun shops to run these background checks, and now you have a live customer in each one of your stores. Yeah. Well, it was just like when Obama, you know, got into office. Everybody was like, "Oh, you know, the gun stores and gun manufacturers. Oh, I hate this. I hate this." But no, they're like, mm, "This is great. This is good for business. <laughs> really love this." And Trump gets in, they're like, oh, "Son of a." Hey, I felt the wrath of that. Trust yeah, me. a lot of a lot of yeah. companies, a lot of companies did. You know, yeah, there was but there were moments where I was like, "What are we doing?" <laughs> like, but we but that that's a up? that's a fault in their business model because they were they were basing their their business model on on that. Where if they had yes. based it on just normal you know um, supply demand methods, then they would have been fine. But it's hard to do that in this industry because it's so up and down. And that's what I always try to tell people. Like, I, I used to hate it when people would say to me, oh, uh, you know, you get these ignorant people and they go, oh, you had another mass shooting. Good for you. Right. And I'm like, no, horrible. Absolutely horrible. Not only from a standpoint of like my heart is hurt because I, I have children and I do understand these things are awful. Sure. But from a business standpoint. You know that's secondary, but you can't you can't make plans. It's hard to make plans. You need some even water, you know, for a long period of time because when you have these these big swings, nobody knows what they're doing, you know, and that's that's mm-hmm. the frustra- frustrating part. And as as somebody who represented manufacturers, the manufacturers wanted me to have something called a forecast, and the forecast was basically a crystal ball. So sure. what would happen is there'd be this huge demand and then they'd get mad at me because I missed it. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize there was going to be a mass shooting. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, no, they I, wanted- I get that. But they I mean, they're stupid for, again, basing their business on those, you know, on that crap. You, We're you seeing know. that right now in my field. I mean, nobody 
we already had a, an overabundance of demand for mental health services. And Nevada is 51st in the country in behavioral health care provision. Like we've been we've been in the cellar for many, many years, actually now. And um, Mental Health America, which produces that that survey, it's called Ranking the States, uh, is the same organization that backs Walk the Talk America and it's uh, free and anonymous mental health screenings. But being in Nevada, we were already over overworked and understaffed and then pandemic hits and now we're not only overworked and understaffed and people are getting worse and children are getting worse and domestic violence is increasing because the stupid forced government lockdowns put everybody back in their homes and child abuse is going underreported because the, all the schools are closed and kids are at home and nobody's got eyeballs on them like this stuff just exploded on us and oh by the way we we're all forced home too and we had to conduct our, our stuff through telehealth, which, thank God, it compelled. Like, if there's one silver lining that came out of this, and it's not the only one, but if there's one, it's that it forced my entire profession to become proficient at telehealth. And most of us have. What's telehealth? Now, telehealth is when you do counseling through the internet, through the through the video, like we're doing this Skype thing, yeah. um, instead of face to face. And and the the clinicians hated it. Man, we've we've tap danced around this thing forever because we. We were suspicious of it. We didn't trust the internet. We were we stigmatize ourselves with a lot of this stuff too. Mm -hmm. uh, but now that we're all comp, you know, most of us are competent at it. <laughs> people have have come to realize, like, oh, now it's easier to get my my care. And what the problem that's caused for us is, I'm like Mike. My heart hurts because my business is doing well. I we we can't possibly serve all the people who need care right now, and that's great for Jake. But my community is ailing, and it sucks to watch people in depression. Double-edged sword, yeah. And and there's something else too, and I'll I'll throw this out there just because I get the microphone right now. Beware of who you're talking to if you sign up for online therapy, because the the companies that have come out now. Uh, talk space, better help, good therapy. It's it's these things you can register to and like check in with a counselor or pay a subscription or whatever. Their clause actually states it's not therapy. It's a therapeutic conversation with a licensed clinician. Huh. And there's a whole bunch of backdoor liability that um, I think a lot of people are not aware of. But um, just be very wary of that because it's invited a lot of um, it's invited a lot of charlatans into our field. So mm. you know I don't want somebody off from getting themselves treated. Uh, but just just be judicious about it, you know. Yeah, and uh, you know, not just your industry, but I've noticed a lot. You know, a lot of industries that were very reluctant to go digital, uh, you know, via virtual. I guess virtual is the word. Virtual, yeah. Uh, are finding that you know what this is really a good viable way to do it. Like like follow up doctors' appointments. You know, you go in instead of going That's in for the follow up. You know, because they just ask you a bunch of questions anyway. Is you know they're able to get a lot more done through through a virtual than you know the oh, way you know it's good for the patient it's good for the doctors they can see more clients state. yeah it's bringing care access to places that otherwise couldn't get it Nevada's uh, 110,000 square miles and the two populous counties of Clark and Washoe which are like I said six and a half hours apart they only 
have about 22,000 of those square miles. So the other 88,000 square miles of Nevada is very rural. And we got a lot of people scattered across there who just can't drive two hours each direction for appointment. Yeah. So I love that. I love it for inclement weather. And if somebody's running late from work, you know, you don't have to cancel your appointment anymore. Pull over the side of the road, put your phone on. It's, I love it. Like it's, it's awesome. It's just as effective. We've got research that backs it that it's just as effective. Um, but, but it is invited in a lot of fly by nights, unfortunately. Yeah. I'd like to see the statistics on um, uh, automobile accidents during this time versus, you know, not. And then going and going forward. So car insurance. Because is a lot more going. people, well, you, you'd, you'd think, but they'll find a way to keep it, keep it expensive yeah. because the insurance yeah. is a racket. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But, but um, my uh, one of my good friends is my my insurance agent. And uh, we got a, a bunch of people got rebates because people just weren't driving as much. Um, so maybe, but they'll probably find a way to jack it up. You're right. Yeah. They'll pass it on hey, to your home insurance because you're at home more now. One yeah. thing I've, I've taken away from this whole conversation is Marty hates insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, uh, insurance is good. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Insurance is good, but it shouldn't be mandated. Right. You know, just like seatbelts. You shouldn't mandate seatbelts. You shouldn't, there shouldn't be a law that you have to wear seatbelts. shouldn't be a law that you have to have insurance. Again, it gets into the, uh, you know, discriminating and uh, that type of stuff. Because you know, not everybody can, well, that's right, can afford that's certain right up our types alley, of insurance. That's, uh, you know, that's what the 2A culture is all about is personal choice and freedom, right? Right, and that's, exactly. And then we get into that we get into that thing where it's like, I know what's good for you. And uh, then they want to start taking it away from people that don't use it, you know, the firearm. They don't use it in, 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 with anything but the best intentions. That's how they use firearms. And that's that's the majority of firearms owners in the United States. So that's why it's it's like mind-boggling that yeah. we have to go through this. Well, Oops. Yeah, Rob actually found out some interesting data. Um, uh, Pincus, he, he – I, I want to I'm, – I'm guessing here, but it was like 30 years ago. It was like 1990 or 91 when um, – the number, the percentage of advertisements in gun magazines was like it was like eighty twenty sporting versus defense, and now it's completely inverted, and it's a it's roughly attributable to the kind of the crime wave of the early nineties, mm. and then since then crime has plummeted worldwide, all crime, and and we're still afraid though is the problem. So media sensationalizes this stuff; it has a psychological effect to activate our limbic brain that says you know be afraid. And out of that fear, what do you do? You want to you want to eliminate whatever the threat is that you see or the, the perceived threat. So now we got people buying for defense purposes, and um, there's there's no statistical substantiation for that, but there's a psychological substantiation for it. When all we're fed is danger, 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 danger. ISIS is going to kick in your window at 3 a.m. and it's and it's just not true. I mean, now we, we've got legislatures looking at passing laws to protect children who go into the park by themselves so that the parents don't get CPS called on them, you know, the free range kids or whatever. Um, because we're still stuck with the idea that our kids could get snatched at any time. And it's just, it just doesn't happen. It's like less, less than 120 a year or something in a country of 150 million kids or something. And the vast overwhelming majority of those abductions are by known people. They're, they're custody issues. Right. And yet we've got, tattletales out there running around with their cell phone cameras calling the cops because they see kids unsupervised at the park and it's like what are we doing so we have to be aware of the, how much we intake into our own heads and how we behave out of that information um it's 
yeah, it's anyway another soapbox I could go on, but um, we're running short. On I like time. I like your way of thinking though. That's that's good. I like. That. I will so, tell you, I appreciate, I appreciate Marty that you're you're as Johnny Raincloud as I am because I feel like I'm always the guy in those conversations who's like, yes, but have you considered? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'm I'm kind of the um, the great equalizer. So if somebody's on you know the downside, I'm going to take the upside. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be that one that's gonna look at the other side because. You know, you always have somebody that's that's looking outside that. There's another thing, and I can't remember. You know, I've got all these great things that you know, uh, sayings and and things. But uh, you know, when when you've got like five people, uh, they can't all five agree on the same thing. You got to have at least one that's going to be the the opposition to that. You know, so well, checks anyway. and balances. Yeah, it's kind of checks and balances. So what I want to what I want to do is wrap this up and just kind of get. Um, so this bill, HR 127 is kind of what got all this started. And, um, through the firearms industry, Mike, you've been able to connect to the mental health side of things. And, uh, what I thought was amazing was that you were telling me the story of when you saw this, you sent it to some, someone at mental health America, one of your contacts there, and they were kind of completely unaware of, of the wording of this, this bill and, and, you know, actually what was happening and once you pointed it out and showed it to them, then they got all fired up about it and like, oh no, no, this is wrong. You know, we can't do that. And kind of talk, tell that story. Yeah, it, this is one of the benefits because I know that you probably have some listeners that are probably like, why do we have to work with the mental health people, especially with Mike saying we can do some of this stuff ourselves, like we can police our own. Well, the truth of the matter is one of the the benefits of it is is being able to contact. Uh, Randy Meehan from uh, Liberal Gun Owners, right? He said it best. He said, we, the way he phrased it, I, I'm killing it here, but it was something like, we have allies. We suck uh, with not, quotes, don't we? Yeah, we do. <laughs> right? But, 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 you know, it's the ultimate Aikido move or jujitsu move, right? You, you, you get these allies because Mental Health America is an ally to us, Walk Talk America. Um, they, they're not they don't, you know, their organization doesn't stand for pro 2A, but what they do stand for is that, you know, we get the stigma of mental health uh, destroyed and everybody that suffers from mental health should never lose their rights. So when I saw this bill and I saw how stigmatizing it was, uh, I had a funny feeling that they had probably never looked into it. Why would they? Right. It's like me looking into some kind of rule in golf. I don't golf. Like, I'm not going to be in there trying to figure this out, even though they should. Right. But it's gun world. Right. And we as gun world, we take on that fight when we see bills like this. But I was able to put that bill in front of uh, the vice president of Mental Health America and say everything you've told me about stigma and how wrong this is or how wrong it is for people that battle mental illness. Look at what they're doing here. And. I mean, I did share the conversation with you, Marty, and Jake knows I shared it with him as well. But it was funny watching her come out of the, her of her chair, right? And how incensed she was when she saw what this bill was. And what did she say immediately? Our people are contacting our representatives in Texas to contact Sheila Jackson uh, to tell her how wrong this is and how bad this language is. So we can actually get our allies in other communities to help fight our fight. Because some of some of the some of the things overlap, right? Um, 
And I'm going to do that every time. And that's why I think it's important to always branch out and kind of have allies in different areas that they're not perfect, but they they can help. Right. Uh, I think the more. Yeah. The more that we get to understand, you know, the greater it's going to help in the in the long run. So you've been invited to to speak at one of their events coming up, right? Yeah, I'm uh, their their national event. I'm actually um, I'm taking. I think well, I think it's virtual, but I'm I'm bringing Jake. I don't even know if I told you this. Uh, so we're gonna Debbie had invited me to speak at the the Mental Health America National Conference or annual conference, and uh, you didn't. I'm no, taking I'm bringing it up now. Um, my voice is going on me, but uh, no, you didn't. I'm glad you're bringing it up now because uh, I should probably put that on my calendar. <laughs> right. Well, I give uh, a lot. Guess who? Guess who? I kind of um, I roped into this, which I think is going to be. I can't wait to watch this. Is is um, Kevin Dixie? <laughs> Outstanding. Um, yeah. So Kevin's going to have this platform with Mental Health America, and, and once again, it, it's. I think it's just going to be an eye opener for everybody. So I can't wait to to kind of tackle this. Um, I don't know. I don't have enough details about what we're going to do and how we're going to approach this, uh, but. I wanted to bring somebody, I think, and Kevin really encompasses that, right? Like somebody that's going to blow their minds, open their eyes, give them a different perspective, um, make them, you know, we were there. We, we had that same type of meeting a few weeks ago where Kevin really opened the eyes of some people that, um, how would you phrase it, Jake? Didn't see didn't see the error of their, their thought process. I think never was- really yeah, it was just a, a very um, rigid worldview that had um, been exposed to something new. It was very, it was very powerful, very powerful. Yeah, and and Lefty, I think I told you about that meeting. You did, you know, yeah. where we, yeah, where we, you'd be surprised. You know, you, you bring in some people they never expect it. They don't expect Kevin Dixie to walk through the door. They don't expect a Lara from Liberal Gun Club. To, to walk through the door and explain to them like what, where some of these laws and some of these belief systems go wrong. And um, I think that's going to be really cool, you know, because like, here we are. We have this stage now. We have a seat at the table like people are listening. What what we've done in the past, it's, it hasn't it's not working. You know, it's not working. So we got to try something new. Right. And uh, and basically the basis of the whole organization is. Hey, let's get together and try to save lives and make Earth better without restriction. <laughs> like there, there are solutions we could come up with that don't automatically default to you lose your rights. Yeah. And our listeners can get on board with Walk the Talk America by going to your website, which is uh, wtta.org, walktalkamerica.org, or on so you know find us on social media at Walk the Talk US on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There you go. And um, for the mental health of America side of things, um, how how can we get involved with that side? Because we don't we, we definitely want to get involved with our side and obviously our side of things, but you know we got to get involved on that side too to to get involved, get in the mix, um, so we can you know be a part of their you know buzz I in their s- ear. I would say just read more. Honestly, like like it's like when people want to join in the firearms community. Um, they're they're going to be intimidated by the vast, overwhelming expanse of what it represents. Sure, the the it's the same thing with us. Like, I mean, I 
I could talk about so many things for so long. Um, it can be really intimidating to be to just like waltz in and think you're going to like start talking the talk. So I would say read more and understand the process. And, and one good way you could do that actually is uh, Zephyr Wellness has a, a frequently asked questions uh, page on our website. So you just go to the about is ZephyrWellness.org about and then the frequently asked questions. Um, I wrote them all. And um, and then we have a YouTube channel that explains a lot, too. Okay. I would just say get to know it, the the, the culture and the community of professional mental health and where's well. a good source uh, a good reliable source in your opinion where our listeners can go and and get solid data not fake news you know if they're going if they want to go get some good solid statistics you know where are some sites that they can go uh, depending on what they're asking i mean if, you, if you're asking about like what it, what it constitutes mental health care. Mm-hmm. I start with my website. I mean, I, I, I chaired my licensing board here in Nevada for a couple of years and I helped rewrite most of our laws governing our profession. And so I toot my own horn. I know my stuff and, and I'm not going to mislead people. It's always rooted in, do, you know, document published literature or at least very good theory. Um, there's a lot of pop psychology out there. Some of it's really good. Some of it's terrible. And so if you can go to to places that are well vetted, um, I would I would suggest that it, there's a lot of them though. That's why I'm like kind of flooded. I would start with Zephyr, and and I I reference and I cite whenever I do a video or a podcast, um, and then you can kind of springboard from there. And I'm I'm accessible. I mean, you can people can email me if they want, uh, Jake at ZephyrWellness.org, um, or just info the info account info yeah. at ZephyrWellness.org. So like the stats you were giving me before um, that you the little chart you popped up. Um, that was the first Center for Disease Control. Yes, yeah, CDC. Would you say that the CDC is, um, for the most part, not biased, unbiased with their? Oh, no, no, I would not say. That <laughs> okay, biased. okay, not a good place to go get statistics. I, I would not. No, I would not, no, no, I would say that they are not biased. I think they do oh, okay. a very good job. Their public messaging during the pandemic has been atrocious. Yes, but their data collection is absolutely on point. Absolutely on point. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. So another uh, another source would would you say is a good reliable mentalhealthamerica.net Perfect. Um, they they collect data um, CDC uh, NIM the the National Institutes for Mental Health NIMH.gov um, they they collect a ton of data Pew um, Research they, right Yeah data data collection is is data collection how you interpret those data is a different story and that can well, be like you were explaining before when that you were looking at this one chart here you're like well you know they're giving you you know all this lumped in with this so you kind of got to you know read between the lines to understand you know, you know you got to pull it up for yourself yeah so critical thinking critical thinking <laughs> definitely well very good guys thank you so much for taking the time to be on uh, this has been educational for me. I mean, we could probably talk another couple of hours, but I'm sure you guys don't have time. We'll get you back on. When is your meeting that you're having, um, Mike? Uh, when I'm, w- which one? The one which, you're talking about, the one you and uh, you're talking about, you and Kevin. Oh, Me- go Mental to- America. I think sometime in July, I got to look at the dates again. Okay, so we need to months, come so. back together if we haven't before. Then definitely, you know, after you do that, and let's get an update on how that goes and. Know, the progress that's that's been made and then if anything else pops up in the meantime that we need to get on and talk about i uh, would love to have you guys back on jake you're always welcome back um 
Uh, you know, I've got a million questions for you just, you know, on the, the, the mental health side of things. Um, I have answers. And if I don't have answers, I'll form some, you'll form some, <laughs> you'll tell me what they are. Right. Yeah. Well, wait, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah. We should plug the podcast though. Cause our podcast. Oh, okay. Is yeah. Good. Talk about your podcast. You, you had mentioned that. It's just called guns and mental health. And, uh, Mike and I do it, you know, once or twice a week and. Oh, you do guests- it too, huh? Why have you not yeah. told me about this podcast, Mike? I, I don't know. I didn't know. I mean, we do a lot. It, it, honestly. Yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things where. And why we, have I never we, been on? No. <laughs> no. Well, I, we probably should talk about that. I think you have a you. I think you'd be a great guest. You have a lot of knowledge and you have a lot of history in this this industry. I have and a lot you, of questions. I'm well, you started off the, the the interesting thing, Jake, is he started off as kind of like, "Hey, I have a lot of questions about the firearms industry and firearms companies." Right? That that was the basis of of talking lead in the beginning. Yeah. yeah now you're kind of like a firearms expert, though. <laughs> no, I bring the experts on. I'm still not an expert. I don't consider There's myself a reason an expert. We can't invert it and just have him on and be like, "Hey, you host our podcast and we'll answer your questions." That's kind of a cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah could do that seriously I oh yeah that. the course if, if there's people listening to this who happen to be mental health practitioners who are also closeted like i once was um we offer a course in firearms cultural competence that's good for continuing education credit in most areas and it's available on our website it's three hours we're going to do a three-part course but the first part is uh is uploaded and you could just passively watch that and then take a quiz at the end and we'll send you a certificate um they do that through your called- website yep WTTA.org and, and just look for the like the the course. It's called uh, at the intersection of guns and mental health. Um, we've offered it a few times. The last, the most recent time, we had 236 people attend, which is remarkable. Um, so sometime in July, we're going to be doing part two, and then there will be a part three later. But uh, that's a that's a really cool offering for people who are interested in gun culture and mental health culture to learn about what it's about. Mike and Rob and I all. Uh, do that together. Is that a virtual course or is that a in person? It is. It is. The, the part three will be in person, but parts one and two will be virtual because we just have a better reach. We'll make sure I get an inv- invitation to that and then I'll I'll post it out too. Let 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd like to like to jump in on that. Um, yeah, definitely. Guys, thank you so much again for taking the time. Leadheads, go check out those websites. Uh, again, it's WTTA, walkthetalkamerica.org. Yep. And Zephyr, your your website for Z E P H Y R Wellness dot org. And y'all are on the social meds and all that too? Yep. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um I'm tr- I'm trying to put out as much free content as I can, just again in the spirit of helping people. Sure. Uh, and then and then I, I do host a, another podcast called Noggin Notes, uh, Noggin that I've been doing for about three and a half years weekly. I like that. Noggin you, Notes. You, What's, Zephyr Wellness YouTube channel, also. What's the uh, the the premise behind behind Noggin Notes? Just conversation about mental health. I talk I talk to anybody and anybody anybody and everybody, anytime. You have guests uh, on. Yep, guests okay. most most of the time. Nice. All right, check check them out, leadheads. Let them know uh, that you're a leadhead. You heard about them here, and then go and make sure you support those that support this show. Mission First Tactical. Seal One, Nemo Arms, ASP USA, Factory 47, Armor Concepts. All those guys uh, have discount codes set up for you leadheads. Mission First Tactical is leadhead. You're going to get 20% off. Seal One is leadhead. You're going to get 25% off. 
Nemo Arms just set up one for you leadheads. It's TL10, and you're going to get 10% off anything at their website, including firearms. In this day and age, getting any kind of discount on a gun is crazy, unheard of. ASP USA, all their flashlights, I've been using their uh, XT. I had a, I had all of them sitting here a minute ago. The Spectrum is the latest one. They're dual fuel flashlights uh, at AF USA. Um, just their flashlights, products only. You're going to get uh, 20% off. Use LED20 at AF USA. Factory 47 for our AK-47 apparel, hoodies, t-shirts, our tumblers. Use Leadhead. You're going to get 10% off there. Uh, and then a guest we had on a couple episodes back, we're talking about home fortification. Uh, you know, not just your fire. Don't rely just on your firearms because if they've gotten through your, your, you know, your front door, you know, that's when the shit's going to hit the fan. But you can prevent that with home fortification. And they've got some door they call it armor, I guess, door armor that you can put around your doors to keep people from kicking the doors in or even using battering rams to knock your door down. Uh, use code TALKINGLED25. You're going to get 25% off there. So go show them some love. And, of course, Caltech Weapons, our good buddy Chad over there. Mike knows Chad and the gang over at Caltech. Yes, sir. Uh, great, great group over there. Go show them some love on the Meads. Like their posts. Let them know your lead heads. Uh, and by doing this, that's how we get these codes set up for you leadheads. So you go out, you use them, they see that you're using them, they get better and better. They even give us some giveaways from time to time, which we're going to have some giveaways coming up on the next few episodes, so stay tuned for that. But until then, as always, leadheads, keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer. And pay attention to your mental well-being. Outtakes, outtakes, outtakes. Uh, attend the baseball winter meetings because I was looking for a job in minor league baseball. Oh, that okay. was cool. So you're looking uh, at the Nashville Sounds at the time? No, it's just so. So the baseball winter meetings is like all of baseball. They come together, and that's when they do all the trades and stuff over the winter time. And there's also a job fair. There's there's also a trade show. Like it was, it's awesome. Like it's really overwhelming. But uh, I was there for the job fair. And uh, it's like to get into minor league baseball is extraordinarily hard. Yeah, uh, it the pay is awful, like awful. Yeah, and uh, usually it's like so. Well, this was I don't know. It's almost twenty years ago now, but it was like five hundred dollars a month, no housing, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy. Awful. awful. Um, but anyway, I got a job and I ended up in Little Rock, and that didn't last. And here I am now. <laughs> yada yada. Skip a few. Years. Cut to now he's on talking to lead. Hey, you made it to the you made it to the, the even lower leagues with talking to lead. <laughs> I mean we're sub minor leagues. I, I didn't know there was a pre rookie ball. This is this is like the Mexican league here. Yeah, metal bats and everything. Yeah, that's <laughs> it doubles so, as an antenna for your car. And your guns closer. And your firearms closer. <laughs> firearms closer. <laughs> and throw some kind of mental mental health twist to it in there too. Keep your loved. Oh man, my voice is going. I get. Mm-hmm. No, no. So I'll up. say, and as always, leadheads keep your loved ones close. And you'll say, and your firearms closer. And then throw a little Go, mental yeah, health thing. In. Yeah. Let's do it again. All right. And as always, leadheads keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer. And mind your own self-talk. Too deep?
Is that too much? No. <laughs> we'll let them figure it out. <laughs> Mind your own self-talk. Explain that. Yeah, if we have to explain, we should probably do another one. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's run it back. All right. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> and as always, heads, keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer. And pay attention to your mental well-being. And others, too. <laughs> and stick your nose in other people's business. <laughs> and screw with as many people's lives as possible. Right? Red laws. Red flag laws. Overreach, overreach as much as you can. Fucking All right, brother. Thank you for having us on, man. We'll catch up with you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go.